This morning is a special day. I've been looking forward to this for a long time. We're going to be starting a series on the Trinity. I want to spend four weeks journeying together uh, in an exploration of the Trinity that I titled, Behold Our God. From time to time, it's good to say, okay, what aspect of who God is can we take and look at the whole of Scripture and survey then and see? What does the canon of God's Word from Genesis to Revelation teach us about the Trinity and who God is? In fact, it's interesting, if you look in your Bible, you won't find the word Trinity. That's a word that the church has come up with to, to put to words a biblical truth revealed from Old Testament all the way through the New. And so we're going to be doing that for the next four weeks, starting today. A few thoughts I had on the Trinity. Uh, first, what, what's the benefit of, of studying the Trinity? You take a topic like this. What benefit is ours for taking this four-week window and saying, Lord, what can we learn of who you are specifically as it relates to the Trinity? And I, th I think there are many. In fact, for the rest of our lives, we will feel the implications of this series, I believe, uh, in all kinds of ways. But four came to mind for me. And you might just jot these down at the top of your sermon notes. Number one, we're going to gain a greater understanding of, of God, to, to understand him more. Now, sometimes when the topic of the Trinity comes up, people say, man, that's, that's heavy. That's hard. There's a lot of, of unknowns in that topic. And, and some people say, you know, because it's so hard, I don't want to go there. Let's just, let's just do the stuff that's a little easier. And, and I would say, uh, yeah, we're, it is harder, but that's no reason to shy away. If anything, when dealing with God, some of the harder truths are waiting to, to bring us to greater joy and delight in him. And so, yeah, it's going to take a little work. But that's what we're called to. Sometimes you have to think. You have to really work and, and, and reason together to engage this God that is so great, we will never fully understand Him. Never. We will always be discovering Him and exploring His greatness forever. And so, yeah, we, we need a greater understanding of who God is. Secondly, uh, the goal of knowing more is that we might worship more, right? The knowledge puffs up. If, if all we want is just knowledge, then we can write an encyclopedia, and that's about it. The goal of knowing more is that our hearts would be stirred to greater worship. And I, I use the word a truer worship of God because the more that we see Him for who He is, the more precise and honoring our worship of him is. If we said, Lord, we just, we love you so much. You're, you're a gigantic orange ball and you're so, you're so orange and round and we just bow before you. You see what I mean? It, it, it's, not, it's not honoring to the one who is when our worship of him is inaccurate to who he is. And so it's, it's good for us to seek according to his word, to his self-disclosure of who he is, to make sure that as we worship him, we worship in spirit and in truth, accurately. I believe it was, uh, uh, let's see, J.I. Packer who said, our worship is either pure or vain based upon 
our, our concept of the one we worship. We want our worship to be true and, and, and right and honoring to the Lord. Another benefit would be a deeper relationship with God. Remember when Jenny and I were dating, just first getting to know one another. I was so excited to learn more about who is this girl? Who is this young lady? This, this Michigander, right? From, from the, the hallowed halls of West Michigan. Who is this person? What does she love? What has she experienced? As I got to know her more, I loved her more, right? So part of the journey and the call of discipleship and walking as one of uh, the Lord's, uh, one of his, his children is to know him more. We believe that the greatest gift that God can give us is himself. He gives us himself. And so our relationship with God is strengthened, especially as we ask the question, well, who are you? And as we delve even deeper, who are you, Father? Who are you, Son? And who are you, Spirit? Holy Spirit. I think there's benefits for us there. Fourth, I would add this, a stronger dependence upon God. The more we know Him, the more delight we will have in Him, worship, the more we will walk with Him, relationship, and enjoy that intimacy of, of knowing Him and relating with Him, but also to rely upon Him, to trust Him, to wait for Him, to look to Him in all of the ways that He is there for us. One of the things that I long to see increasingly in my life and then in all of us is that we would appreciate these persons of the Trinity and, and see them in the function of their personhood. So understand more about the Father. And as we learn who He is more, rely upon Him more, and the Son, and, and the Spirit. We can praise and pray to all three members of the Godhead. Especially when you know the work of, of a person of the Godhead is before us. So often when I'm preparing a sermon, I'm praying, Spirit, Holy Spirit, please stir, move, work. Take my words and accomplish them in your people. Now that's that's a, a work of the Spirit. And that, that prayer is informed by the study of who is the Holy Spirit. What does He do? What is His his job, his task, his role in the Godhead. And so we come today with these in view. There are many other benefits, I'm sure. But I titled this sermon, Trinitarian Wonder. Trinitarian Wonder. I took a passage from the old and a passage from the new. And I want to just move through this first sermon as a survey. And then next week, we're going to look at God the Father. And the following week, God the Son. And the, the last week, God the Holy Spirit. Uh, up close. Would you pray with me as we dive into this? Heavenly Father, we come and, and we are grateful to be called Yours. Your children. And we come, Lord, knowing that we are needy this morning. Needy for Your Word. And so we become hungry, anticipating glory before our eyes. Father, we come by the blood of Jesus, that victor that we sang about this morning again, the, the triumph, the victory over the sin in our lives, Satan and, and death and hell. We celebrate His work, Lord. We honor You. And Spirit, we thank You for Your role even now 
moving and working and stirring your, your word and opening eyes and, and unstopping ears and calling us greater to a, to a love of Jesus and a glory to you. Father, we pray that you would accomplish all your good pleasure. In Jesus' name, amen. I want to begin by reading a statement from our statement of faith. We worked really hard to put in a kind of summary form some of the doctrines that we see in Scripture. And so let me just read this, and over the coming weeks, you'll see this kind of unpacked more as we go. At Good Shepherd Community Church, we believe and teach that there is only one true and living and sovereign God who is the creator, sustainer, and supreme ruler over heaven and earth. This infinite and self-sufficient God is absolutely perfect in character and work and is therefore infinitely worthy of all praise and honor forever. That alone, that, that truth right there is enough to just bask in for the rest of our time this morning. He is worthy. He is, that's what we mean when we say He is worthy. God has eternally existed in three persons, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. These three persons, thus united in joyous fellowship, are co-equal in their essential nature, attributes, and perfections. Yet, each has a distinct but harmonious office in the work of creation, providence, and redemption. These words are meaningful, distinct, yet harmonious, um, co-equal in essential nature and uh, attributes and perfections. All of these words count and they matter. And really they're informed by volumes of Scripture and church history over the years that have, have benefited the, the work and the kind of the dialing in of these truths from God's Word. So, Let's begin the phrase, God in three persons, blessed Trinity, was just echoing in my soul as I prepared this sermon. And so that's kind of how I arrived at my sermon outline. Let's, let's begin. One God. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. Or maybe what we'll hear in a few weeks as we're hiking on the trails. Shema, Israel, Adonai Eluhinu, Adonai Echad. That's my favorite word. One. One. Echad. <coughs> you choke on that one. The Lord is one. Oh, how many times this is echoed through Scripture. This is a, a call to praise. A call to trust. A call to Israel to believe in the God who is. The Lord is our God. The Lord is one. He is one. Key word here is equality. Equality. When thinking about God, you think about God both in the oneness and the threeness. So singularity and plural. We've got equality among the Godhead. There is one God. One God. You see, maybe this uh, will build it out here. Co-equal in essential nature, attributes, and perfections. What does it mean to be one? This is what it means. It means that there is one God. 
They are all God. One God. Specifically, the Father is God, the Son is God, and the Spirit is God. Such that you can say, we have one God. One God. We begin to scratch our heads already. Well, how, how can you say that? It sounds like three. Yes, it sounds like three, but we're going to dial this in. The oneness or unity or equality is around the, uh, the essence of who God is. His nature. It is shared. God is love. He is holy. He is wise. He is all of these things in all three of these persons. It's His nature. It's who He is. This is revealed so many ways, so many times throughout the Scriptures, both old and new. Here's one that we looked at in, even in Sunday school this morning again. Recently in our series through Exodus, the very first of the Ten Commandments, the very priority, the first thing that God says when it comes to worship, here is the highest. You shall have no other gods before me. Now, it's what he's saying, uh, something of an order, a pecking order of our worship. Put me on the top of the list, then you can have other gods below that. No, no. You shall have no other gods before me. Means in my presence. Don't even bring your worship to anything else or anyone else. Part of the display of God's glory was His exclusivity in absolutely demolishing the pantheon of gods in Egypt. He proved there is nothing there. You're worshiping non-things. And watch me squash him. And he obliterated every single God on purpose. I will, I will humiliate that God by doing this plague. I will humiliate, and he squashed all of them. Including Pharaoh, who saw himself as a God. No other gods. That's the claim of total exclusivity. Our worship is to go to God alone. He is a jealous God. There is no other worship that is to be had than God alone. Here's one from Deuteronomy, looking back on the, the work of God in Egypt. To you it was shown, sum up in all of the plagues, in the triumph of the Lord over Egypt, that you might know that the Lord is God. There is no other besides Him. He goes on this, Know therefore today and lay it to your heart that the Lord is God in heaven above and on earth beneath. There is no other. There's no other. There's one God. So over and over you see this. In fact, I believe in, uh, well, it calls us to this monotheism versus polytheism. I have more verses I want to show you how this, this continues as a theme in the Old Testament. Mono, meaning Single, one, theism, the worship of one. The poly mean, meaning multiple, lots of gods or one God. There are a lot of world religions that are polytheistic. In fact, in the ancient world, most of them were polytheistic. The, the Lord says, listen, instead of all of this, I'm calling you to me. One God, one God. He's not saying worship, worship us. All three gods, he's saying, I am God and there is no other. You see the singular nature of that? In his essence, in his nature, there is one God. 
For Abraham, this was a big switch. Abraham was polytheistic when, the God, when God called him to follow. His, that's a radical change. Just like those Egyptians who left their trust in all of the pantheon of Egyptians' gods and followed it with Israel and went in the exodus with them, placing their faith in Yahweh, the God who is. Isaiah 46, 9b, I am God, there is no other. I am God and there's none like me. You see the singular nature of this? There's one God, one God. Hmm. Now, one God in three persons. One God in three persons. There's mystery here. We struggle to grapple with, with, with how this meets our minds, and that's okay. If we understood God completely, we would be God. It's, it should humble us that we can't understand Him fully, and if anything, call us to greater worship. God is bigger than our highest thought. God in three persons. This is one of the most awesome displays of the, the Trinity, of the Father, Son, and Spirit, all in one place, all in, in, in specific functions in this exchange. When Jesus, the Son, was baptized, immediately he went up from the water, and behold, the heavens were opened to him. And he saw the Spirit of God, this is the Holy Spirit, descending like a dove and coming to rest on him. Okay, so we've got two members of the Godhead standing before our eyes. We have, we have the Son who is standing in the water just after his baptism by John the Baptist. And you have the Spirit coming down to rest now like a dove on him. And then a voice from heaven said, This is my beloved Son with whom I am well pleased. I love those words. I long to hear those words, don't you? Well done, good and faithful servant. That's my boy. That's my boy. I'm proud of him. Well pleased with him. That's my son. Says who? The Father from heaven. So we have this display, this moment. To be there for that, to hear these things, would have been incredible. In fact, Peter talks about this later on. He says, we heard the majestic voice of the very Father speaking of His delight in His Son. Wow. God the Father is God. The Son is God. The Spirit is God. The Father is no more God than the Son is God. The Spirit is no less God than the Father or the Son. They are Equally one God, and yet distinctly God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit. Key word here is distinction. So co-equal in essential nature, attributes, perfections, and distinct in personhood. So one God in three persons. Three persons. We see this begin almost at the very beginning of this it's in the first chapter of your bible in the creation account we have this take place then elohim elohim god that's plural then god elohim plural said let us make man in our 
image, after our likeness. And you're reading it, and you're like, well, who, who's that? It certainly can't be angels. The angels don't create. They don't have the image of God. This is the Trinity. This is God referring to himself in the, in the, in the plural. You see this as well in Genesis 3, in the fall. He is like us. He is like us, right? He is taken of the, of the fruit of the tree. They've disobeyed. We must, we must do what needs to be done. The curse needs to be applied. And so it's actually amazing to see how many times in the Old Testament alone you see the Trinity referred to. A plural handling of God. Here's one that jumped out to me this past week. I heard the voice of the Lord, singular, saying, Whom shall I send? Okay? We, we, we read this verse all the time. Whom, whom shall I, singular, send? Who will go for us? You would think it would read, Whom shall we send? Who will go for us? Or, whom shall I send? Who will go for me? But it's both in the same verse. Singular and plural. plural. One God in three persons, blessed Trinity. Isn't that cool? God is incredibly mysterious. He's not like us. He's not. We see another display of this in Jesus' very commission as we are sent out. He says, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Now, one of the things I want you to to work at as we move through these coming weeks is pronouns. I I would call it praise God in the pronouns. One of the ways that I do this is the ESV doesn't capitalize them enough. And so I go through every week. I don't know if you've noticed this, but every time there's a pronoun, I capitalize it. That takes hours off of my life to do that. But I want to honor the pronouns because they speak volumes. The pronouns reveal the Trinity. These passages we're going to look at in the coming weeks, it's incredible. So Jesus came and said, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Jesus, right? But given by whom? The Father. The Father has given him this authority. He's bestowed on the Son this authority. It's not Satan. Satan doesn't give this authority. The Father has given this authority as as part of that glorification triumph over over the grave. And then Jesus says, in a sense, go in my authority. I'm sending you in my authority. And this is what you're to do. Make disciples of all nations. Baptize them in the name. Okay, this is a big deal. What's going to follow the name? What is the name? So in, in salvation, in faith, in Christ, I am now identifying with Christ in baptism, publicly saying I am his. In whose name? In the name of the Father, in the name of the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Wow. That's the Godhead. The three in one. To honor each one. Every time a believer is baptized, it's it's praise to the Trinity for this incredible accomplishment of salvation and security. Teach them to observe all I've commanded you, And behold, I am with you always to the end of the age. How is Christ with us? How is he with us? 
through the Spirit. The Spirit of God. We're going to see that more on the fourth week. So, God is one. He is one God. One in essence and three in person. One God in three persons. Some would say, uh, we need more examples. Yes, and we're going to get to those. The egg, right? You know, the, the trinity of the egg thing. I remember as a little guy, I, I went to my school and I had, had the egg and I was teaching on the trinity. We're going to see that soon. Let me show you first two examples from Scripture that help us conceive of this, this, this reality. One is shown in marriage. From the very beginning, the Lord says, the man shall leave his father and his mother and hold fast to his wife and they the man and the woman shall become one flesh. Okay, so you see, you have, you, have, you have one flesh, two persons. Two persons becoming one flesh. That's an example. The, the very display of marriage is an echo, I believe, of Trinitarian glory. Jesus even adds to this, and he says that they are no longer two, but one. In that vow, in that covenant, in that marriage, the one flesh union of one man and one woman in a covenant vow with the Lord. Huh. Here's another display for us, the church. Paul writes this, As in one body we have many members, and the members do not have all the same function, so we, though many, though many, are one body. Here we are. We're, we're, we're persons. There's, there's personhood happening all over the place here. But we are one body. Who's the head of the body? Christ is the head of his body. And individually, we are members of one another. So there's examples of this in, in the scripture that kind of point us back to the godness of God, who he is, one God in three persons. Some would say, well, pastor, this is just flat out a contradiction. If you knew the rules of logic, if you had any training in the higher education or in philosophy, you would understand you've just com committed a contradiction here. And you, Is it? Is this a contradiction or is this mystery? What's the difference between the two? I would unashamedly say this is mystery. Just because it's a mystery does not make it a logical contradiction. We've got to remember here, God is a God of order. Why do you think mathematics work? Because God is a God of order. Who owns mathematics? To whose glory do the numbers add up? To God. He's the one who writes with DNA. You talk about order, structure, logic. If ever there was any glory to be had, it is God's because the reason it is what it is is because of God. He created it. He is the one of infinite wisdom and knowledge. And so, just a, just a, a side note here. Don't ever think that our faith is illogical. Uh, don't ever think that our faith does not have reason behind it. Our faith is not blind faith. It's the most logical decision you've ever made. You are reckoning with what actually is, what truth is, and you are making a decision to trust in what is 
the most irrational thing you could ever choose is to turn your back on truth. Uh, to trust in falsehood. So faith is not blind faith. It's not a leap in the dark. It is the most logical decision you've ever made. Now, it's not, it's not uh, the scientific method. You can't test it always. You can't see it always. But it is true, and it is logical. Watch this. The law of non-contradiction says you cannot have one in A and at the same time three in A. That's a contradiction. So I cannot be in this location, fully present here, and at the very same time, in this location, over here, I've committed a contradiction. If I try to convince you, no, I'm, I'm actually here and there, fully present at the same time. I, ca I can't do that, because I have limitations, physical space. You would say, uh, you are contradictory. That's not logical. However, what we're speaking of is different, okay? God is one in essence, one in nature, and three in person. So the difference of our formula is that we speak of a God who is, he is one in his essence, in all that he is, and three in person. That's why this is mysterious to us. It's not a contradiction, but it is mysterious. And I would add, glorious, glorious. And so we say, Lord, we trust you. We don't try to reduce you. We don't try to put you in a little box and, and put a bow on the top. That's what church history has proven time and time again. Here are Trinitarian heresies of church history, all right there for you to behold. It's so easy to err. In fact, one of my biggest prayers in preparing this sermon was, Lord, guard my tongue. I don't want to be an, an accidental heretic here. I, I want to speak the truth faithfully, and words matter. These words are so precise, and they have to be so specific to the Word of God. I won't go through what all these are, but some of them you might recognize. Others, maybe you don't recognize. It'd be worth a Google, as Gracie would say. Worth a Google. I'll give you an example of some of this. Our tendency is to lean one way or the other, okay? Our, our, we want to make sense of it. So, 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 well, let's just make sense of it by saying that either he's one or he's three, okay? Here's the egg, that ever-present illustration and discussions of the Trinity. What's wrong with the egg? Where do we err? If we say God in Trinitarian form is like an egg, well, we are solid on distinction, aren't we? We have a shell. We have a yolk. We have the egg white. They're different, right? They're different. But they're also one. They're one egg. The problem is, is, is they're not co-equal in their essential nature. They're two different. They're, they're actually three very different things. So we've erred on the side of distinction and we've lost unity equality, oneness. You see the problem there? That's heresy then. And the church fell for that and corrected that years ago and has come back to the middle here. No, he is one and he is three. How about water, vapor, and ice? Doesn't that work? It wouldn't, wouldn't that be a good uh, illustration maybe of the Trinity? Well, what do, what do we have wrong here? 
This is one that is actually surprisingly common and, and wrongfully believed today. In our day. This is the heresy of modalism. Modalism. It says, in essence, that God uh, it shows up in different forms at different times, but He is just the same God. So He is the Father in one moment, and then He comes as the Son, right? Ice in the next moment, and then, then the Spirit, right? Vapor over here. But it's all just one God expressing through modes at different times. That's heresy because you lose distinction. You lose three persons. You have unity, which is good. You see the balancing act we have here? This is hard. And our brains struggle to try to find a way to illustrate this. I, I love how Uncle Bruce did it when he was here. He had a whiteboard and he drew a circle. And he said, let's imagine that this red circle is the Father. So I, I have washers, okay? Uh, this one says the Father. And he put that circle up on the board. Then he took a different color marker and he drew the exact same circle over the top. And he said, let's say that th that's the sun. And, and then he took another color, a, a yellow marker, and he drew on the top of that one. And then he asked the question, well, how many, how many circles are there? And as you look at the board, you say, oh, there's one circle. But you know, there's actually three. They're three. They're distinct in that they are not the exact same circles. There was a father circle, right? And a son circle and a spirit circle. But they are one circle. One God, three persons. Every illustration breaks down, but that's about as close as I can get to, to helping us to conceive. So you look and you say, there's one God in three persons as you see them revealed in Scripture. Father, Son, Spirit. And hopefully that can be a, a help for us as we think about these things, but they always break down at some point along the way. One God, three persons, blessed Trinity. Blessed Trinity. Just a few thoughts to survey about the Godness of God in His Trinitarian glory or wonder i want to just point us to some of these things first is this god is infinitely boundlessly eternally happy in himself satisfied delighted in glorying in himself sets us apart from Islam. One God in the singular only. Muhammad, he's just a prophet. You see, see what we have? We have one God who has eternally existed in three persons in joyous fellowship with one another. There's so many displays of this in Scripture as we read. This eternal fellowship is one of love. Of, of intimacy, uh, of fellowship and joy. It's a community that has existed from eternity past and will always exist. So he asked the question, why did God create? Well, if, if he was infinitely happy within himself, then why did he create? What's the point of creation? 
don't ever think, well, God was lonely. It is laughable. It's laughable when you see the Trinity for who they are. Father, Son, Spirit. Perfection. Infinite joy. Here's what I would say. God created, therefore, out of an overflow, not a deficit. Creation is God's way of saying, look at us and look at me. And enter in. Join this. It's an overflow, not a deficit. God created in such a way that He wants to share His glory, to highlight His greatness, to magnify His worth forever. That's why creation exists. That's why the plan of redemption exists. That's why sin and Satan and hell and wrath exist. It's all about the glory of God. What is the greatest display of His glory forever? Exactly what we experience as this world unfolds according to His will. He is sovereign in all of these ways to highlight His greatness. And here's what He does. He says, come in. Come into this. Come join us. His love for His Son was so great that His delight was to have the Son be the firstborn of many sons. The love that the the Father has for the Son is now going to be shown to all of those that He brings to Himself. Think of this in in John 17. This is what Jesus prays. Father, oh, John 17 is a great place to go to see this Trinitarian glory. Father, God the Father, Jesus says, I desire that they whom you have given me, that's the elect, they may be with me, Jesus, where I am to see my glory, Jesus, that you, Father, have given me, Jesus, because you, Father, loved me. Me, Jesus, the Son, before the foundation of the world. Now we're going to be in a couple weeks considering the deity of Christ. He wasn't just a man. He was God. He was God, the Son of God. Here's the proof of that. This love, this joy, this fellowship that has eternally existed from before let there be light, from from long ago, ages past, we're brought into by grace. By grace. There's Trinitarian wonder in that. Who, Who are we to be brought into this fellowship forever? Yet, by grace, God has chosen to do this. To show His greatness forever. Number three, there are functional roles within the Godhead. There are, there are, there are roles or offices that function within the Godhead. We see this uh, as we uh, explore the Scriptures. For example, authority and submission. So often we hear Jesus saying, Not my will, but yours. Who's the yours? The Father. Your will be done. My job is not to come and do my will, but the Father who sent me. So the Son joyfully submits to the Father. 
the Father has sent His Son. For God so loved the world that He gave His Son. These are roles displayed for us. And part of what we're going to see in the coming weeks is some of the distinction in these roles among God within the Trinity, the, the, the work of the Father, the Son, and the Spirit. It's amazing to consider. God the Father is the divine architect of it all. We're going to see more of this next week. In eternity past, Ephesians chapter 1, He planned it all. He chose. He ordained the history to be what it is. This is the Father's plan of old. Now, I want to be cautious with this language because I don't want you to begin to refer to God the Father as divine architect. Please don't do that. Some trend up there nowadays that they want to eliminate the masculine language in father and son. And so they're trying to, to, to distance themselves from any kind of uh, masculine display. God is the one who said, Father. Jesus is the Son, not the daughter. He's the Son. This is God's language, and we dare not tread upon it. We take His word. We don't come up with these labels. Don't pray, O divine architect. But no, that is a function of His Godness as Father. He is the architect of it all. The Son, therefore, we could say, is in that sense the, the accomplisher of, of the work. The Father has set up the plan. The Son is sent to go and accomplish that work. And so He comes, born of a virgin, sinless life, atoning death, victorious resurrection, accomplished, mission accomplished. Ascends back to the Father where He intercedes for the saints. We're going to see the final week that in fact the Holy Spirit is the divine applier of the work. The Spirit of God is sent to bring life, to take that finished work and then apply it to God's people. Individually, at that moment, life sealed, held in the grip of God, ministered to, convicted and comforted all along the way. Eyes open. Incredible role. Fr friends, I've found over the years in ministry that Christians struggle the most with the Holy Spirit. Who is He? Who is He as a person? He is a person. Here's the thing. The Holy Spirit is the member of the Godhead who is most present and active in your life in that sense every day. He delights to be behind the scenes. He draws all attention to Christ. But friends, He is the one at work right now in this room taking the preached Word and landing it in a way that I could never do. I love that. And we should praise the Spirit for His Godness and His glory and His, His grace and goodness in our lives. He is to be praised as well, along with the Son and the Father. And so our response this morning, as we continue this journey in the weeks ahead, it's my prayer that we will appreciate more, see more clearly the God who is. The God who is. Not my version or opinion of Him, but, but who has revealed Himself to be in the Scripture. I had a professor at Moody Bible Institute who was uh, an amazing theologian. Amazing theologian. 
He blew my mind. However, his heart was just not engaged. I just didn't discern a passion for God in his teaching. I had another professor the following year who began the class with prayer and praise. And we worshipped in theology as we journeyed together. And this is what I would encourage us to this work is it's work. It strains our minds. We, we reach to places, ask the Lord to create new categories of thought of who is this great God that we love and adore and worship. Don't allow that work to be cold and academic. May it be warm. And, and that truth then move from your head to your heart to be love and adoration and praise. If our theology doesn't land us on our knees, we have not done theology. The study of God. Our work in God's Word should lead us to the worship of the God of the Word. What about when we run into that brick wall and it's just foggy and the verses stop? And, and just, there's not more clarity. What do we do with mystery? I remember working with a number of people over the years who just, they, they hated mystery. They hated it. It just drove them nuts. I, no, but I don't understand. Yeah, neither do I. And that's okay. That's okay. We work. We dig. We pray, oh Lord, open my eyes to see these glorious things and, and stir in my heart to worship you. And where we run into mystery, oh, we humbly bow before your glory. And we worship there too. You see, if you don't have a place in your life to bow before the mystery of God in worship, you're bound for heresy. Because you will try to conquer mystery. And in doing so, you, you will create an idol of your own making. Don't do that. D don't fear mystery. God is mysterious. His ways are not our ways. His thoughts are not our thoughts. He is so big, so high. We have to have a category in our worship for the God who is not fully known Ever. Ever. When you die and you meet Him face to face, it's not going to all make sense. You're going to know a lot more than you know right now. Yes. You'll see Him face to face. Oh, we long for that. To see the face of Christ forever. But there will be joy after joy after joy to find in discovering Him every day forever. Because He's infinite. And we are limited. We are finite beings. We will embrace the worship in mystery forever. And that's a good thing. So get used to it now, right? Get, 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 get happy with a God who's bigger than your mind now. This came to mind. just want to close with this. Praise God, Good Shepherd Community Church. Praise God from whom all blessings flow. Praise Him, all creatures here below. We're down at the beach. Praise Him, birds, ocean, awesome rocks, 
The rock I thought was an agate that wasn't an agate. Praise Him. Everything we see, cold, freezing wind, praise Him. Warm sun that came out. Praise Him, all creatures here below. Praise Him above, ye heavenly hosts. And then this line. This is my longing for us all here in this month. Praise Father, Son, and Holy Ghost. Let's pray. Father, take us deeper, we pray, into a delight in who You are. We are in some challenging realities that, that push us beyond our maybe our comfort zone, and, and yet we know there is worship to be had here, and so we, we dig, and we work, and we think, and we pray, Lord, open our eyes and stir our hearts to see You as You are with as much view as You have allowed for us to have. May our theology land us on our knees in worship of our risen Savior, Jesus, giving all praise and glory to you, Father, for your plan, for his accomplishment, for you, Spirit, as you have applied this in our lives. And Lord, when we run into mystery, encourage us to worship. Help us to embrace this as your greatness and glory, for you are high above it all. And yet you invite us into this love, this eternal fellowship. Thank you, Lord. It's in the name of the Father, and the name of the Son, and the name of the Holy Spirit that I pray. Amen.